Hello, welcome. This is a tutorial on the bony landmarks. The bony landmarks are principles for simplifying and clarifying alignment. With the bony landmarks, alignment is less figuring it out and more feeling deeply into your own body. The principles will feel less like a checklist and more like maintaining a natural, powerful current of connection. We're going to start with a quote from T.S. Little. He says, I would propose that the bones are our innermost core tissues. In all of the internal arts, including Tai Chi, Qigong, and yoga, the bones are a source of longevity and lasting wisdom. In the ancestral teachings from Tibet, India, and China, the bones were believed to be invested with enduring power. In Ayurveda, bone is directly linked to the nerves. In yoga, the more we settle into our bones, the more stable and equanimous our nervous systems. When you practice with the bony landmarks, there is a sense of settling into these heavy points on the body. And then there's a spontaneous releasing of the soft tissue around those heavy points. There's the settling, the releasing, and then there's the springing upward of the horizontal sheaths that the yogis call the bandhas. So there is big benefit to do this work physically. And then that sigh of relief that happens in the nervous system. So what are the bony landmarks exactly? Well, they're just like what they sound like, landmarks, mile markers, guideposts to help you navigate the physical and energetic anatomy of the body. And important to note, they're mile markers, guideposts, landmarks, not the destination. The destination we can classify as connection, integration, wholeness, alignment, or yoga so the bony landmarks help you get there. In the yoga tradition, there's this fabulous saying, don't mistake the finger for the moon. The finger is pointing, you're looking for the moon. The bony landmarks are pointing, you're looking for the yoga, the connection, the wholeness, the integration. You can think of the bony landmarks too, just like directions. And if you're giving someone directions to your house, you might say something like you turn left at the big tree, right at the red barn, and then my house is on the left. And again, the tree, the barn, landmarks to get you to the destination of the house. So as you learn these, resist the temptation to get focused or microscopic on one point. It's about the whole. It's about the destination. It's about the connection. Now, the bony landmarks, especially the core four that we're going to look at, have a descending and grounding quality in the body. It does require releasing and releasing into a force like gravity. And that releasing and sinking and settling allows for the tissue around these anchor points in the body to dissolve tension. The core four that we're going to study are located on the back side of the body. Recall that the back side of the body is related to the unseen, the unknown, the great mystery of oneness. The front side of the body, in contrast, is related to the seen, the known, the individual, and the I-ness. Anytime we're working with the backside of the body, it has that unseen, unknown, elusive quality. So there's this sensing and feeling into it rather than figuring it out and trying to control it. We will talk about each of the core four bony landmarks individually, and they are the occipital ridge, the scapula, also known as the shoulder blades, the sitting bones, also known as the ischial tuberosities, and the heels, also known as the calcaneus bone. Before we dive into those individually, let's talk a little bit about the quality of bone. 
We tend to think of bone as inert, but bones are living tissue. As living tissue, your bones are constantly rebuilding and reshaping themselves based on how you use your bones. And this is an anatomical law called Wolf's Law. Now, when we're in classes, many students ask, but how? How do your bones reshape themselves? And it's through compressive force. And during a class, I used a book and I pressed on it and the book would bend in response to that force. We want our bones to have that compressive quality and that builds strength in them. When bones become brittle, then you press and they break. And we, we see this over time, especially with parts of the bone like the femoral neck where it's quite thin and it can tend to just snap. So we move our bodies, we use our bodies and we align our body well so that compressive force helps build strength. Now, people will often ask, I thought muscles built strength, and they do, and muscles help your bones and muscles move your bones. I think of the bones as the support beams in the architecture of the body, and then the muscles are the scaffolding. And whereas bones provide structural supports, muscles create movement. Also important to note that tendons attach muscles to bone and ligaments attach bone to bone. There's an interesting perspective from the bodywork schools that joints don't create movement, but they allow for movement. Joints are a break in the continuity of the body that allows for fluidity in the body. This is important because many people will move from their joints and that can cause stress strain on the joints, especially if you have laxity in your ligaments. And if you hyperextend joints like your knee, you have laxity in the ligaments. So rather than moving from the joint, what the bony landmarks will encourage you to do is move from these bony landmark points. And then we have this quality of the joint allowing movement versus doing movement. Okay, this can sound like a lot. Let me give you a concrete example, the knee. Most people will bend their knee for movement, say the transition from side angle into triangle. And instead, what the bony landmarks will ask for is that you press through the heel, pull back on the hip and sitting bone, and then the knee allows for the straightening. When you do this work, movement feels much more coherent, much more connected. It becomes fluid, less clunky or jerky. And if you're curious about this, just try it. Just watch how you move in and out of straight leg and bent knee poses. And rather than moving from the knee, move from the hip, the sitting bone through the heel and really stretching those two points of the leg apart and or allowing the knee to bend while keeping those two points talking. It is fabulous, rich, will require so much presence and patience and totally worth it. Now, let's get back to the core four. Now that we know a little bit more about bones and these bony landmarks are places where you have knobs and shelves and sweeping spaces where muscles easily attach. Sometimes we see ligaments attaching there too. And again, we have the occipital ridge, which we'll sometimes call the back of the skull, the scapula, also known as the shoulder blades, the sitting bones, also known as the ischial tuberosities, and the heels, also known as the calcaneus bone. So the occipital ridge there's also a relationship with what are called the occipital condyles. And the occipital condyles, these little knobs where the skull attaches to the spine. And where the skull attaches to the spine is C1 or the atlas. And the atlas of the spine, just like the mythical Greek character, it holds up the whole world. It holds up the whole head. 
And there are many muscles that attach on the occipital ridge and then attach to your spine along the cervical spine, the neck, or the tops of your shoulder blades. So the occipital ridge becomes this place where we'll often get a lot of tension from forward head positioning. So releasing, softening, aligning this part of the body will release the tension and stress that most of us hold in our jaw and our neck. Awareness of the occipital ridge will also orient you to the upper palate and the musculature of the deep neck flexors, which corresponds to the bandhas known as Jalandhara Bandha and Jiva Bandha. The scapula or shoulder blades are the reins of the shoulder girdle. Recall that the shoulder girdle has four joints and the scapula really helps stabilize and steer the whole shoulder girdle. Some major muscles here include the trapezius and trapezius will attach actually at the occipital ridge, the back of the skull, go to the top of the scapula, the shelf at the top of the scapula, and then all the way down to T12, thoracic vertebra 12, which is where you have the respiratory diaphragm, the upper attachment of the psoas, that major intersection in the body. So the trapezius muscles are huge. They're also really reactive. They're the muscles that pull your shoulders up to your ears that can create a sense of chronic tightness in the upper back and the neck and the chest. So settling the scapula onto the rib cage can be tremendously releasing and revitalizing for the body because there can be just so much tension and energy held in the traps. Other muscles that are important for understanding the scapula are the rhomboids. The rhomboids squeeze the scapula in towards the spine. It's an action like elevator doors closing. And then serratus anterior wraps the shoulder blades around. They're the muscles that help build strength in the upper back. And the push-pull between rhomboids and serratus anterior are what stabilize the shoulder blades onto the rib cage. Now, we want the scapula to have this settled, stabilized-like quality on the rib cage, not pulled up, not yanked down, but almost like perched, like a bird. And you can actually think of the shoulder blades as wing muscles and the arms like wings. You want them to be able to reach, to be able to move fully and freely, and be deeply connected to the core of your body. Stability for the shoulder blades and the whole shoulder girdle does depend on fullness around T12, and this means breathing with circumference. So really being able to get a full diaphragmatic breath, that creates the perch, like the branch, for the shoulder blades to settle onto. And this will create a relationship to what the yogis called Uddiyana Bandha, the upward flying lift that corresponds to the respiratory diaphragm. Now the sitting bones, also known as the ischial tuberosities, you can think of the sitting bones as the heels of the pelvis. They ground and balance the two sides of the pelvis. And recall that the two sides of the pelvis don't actually touch. In the front, there's the pubic symphysis. It's this wedge of cartilage. In the back, there is the sacrum, which is technically part of the spine. Where the sacrum attaches to the pelvis is known as the SI joint, the sacroiliac joint. Now, because the two sides of the pelvis don't actually touch, they can move somewhat independently of one another, which means one hip can get stuck, hiked up, turned a little bit in, or rolled a little bit back and down. And you've probably felt this within your own body. It can show up as a leg length discrepancy. 
So when we balance the sitting bones and get them to ground, we have the opportunity to balance the two sides of the pelvis. And this can create stability for the sacrum. And that leads to more fluidity and stability for the whole spine. So big benefits with getting anchored and clear in the sitting bones. The hamstrings attach at the sitting bones, and you may have noticed there is a tendency for yoga practitioners to develop challenges with hamstring attachments, tears, micro tears, full tears at the hamstring attachments. This became so common at one point in time that people called it yoga butt, and it's because we're yanking, cranking on the sitting bones versus giving them this grounding quality that actually creates strength for the hamstrings and the hamstrings attachments. And this stability strength from the hamstrings leads to stronger back bending, more stable forward bending, and again, has a contributing factor for the health of your sacrum, SI joint, and lower spine. The other interesting corresponding tissue with the sitting bones is the pelvic floor. And the pelvic floor corresponds to mula banda. And the pelvic floor muscles move across the base of the pelvis. It's almost like trapeze slinging. There's some that go across, some that go in circles, some that go front to back. And a lot of this musculature will attach to the sitting bones in either the tailbone or the sacrum. Lastly, the heels. The weight of the leg bones transfers through the center of the heel. And that is so important to remember. It's not the back of the heel. It's not the center of the foot. It's not the ball of the foot. The center of the heel. And the heels, when you look at the architecture of the foot, are like boulder bones. They're solid and steady. Versus the bones in the front of your feet are more like antenna, therefore balance and proprioception and propelling you forward, whereas the heels are for weight bearing and steadiness. To wrap up, the bony landmarks are about building relationship in your body, creating connection, orienting to your body as a whole versus separate parts. When you're working with these principles, For me, it's like doing a body scan. I'm like, can I feel the occipital ridge? Yes. Can I feel the shoulder blade settled on the rib cage? Excellent. Can I feel the sitting bones grounding evenly? Got it. Can I feel heaviness through both heels, center of heels? Check. Then there's this sense of coherence and connection and grounding stability and calm that is lovely in and of itself. And then the bonus is that spontaneous lift through the soft tissue. For example, the arches of the feet when you ground through the heels, the lift in the pelvic floor with stability and sitting bones, the dynamic respiration that can happen with the diaphragm when the shoulder blades are settled onto the rib cage, and the balance in the jaw and the neck and the skull when the head is well aligned with the rest of the body. And this zoomed out body scan perspective, I will call DEEP. DEEP being an acronym for you want a distant energetic experience of the pose or the practice. And that distant energetic experiencing allows you to sense and feel rather than think and do. So what does this mean in practice? Number one, you want a sense of heaviness and settling into the bony landmarks. This cannot be effortful. It's more like releasing with a natural force similar to gravity. You are learning to trust the support beams and architecture of your body. 
when you're working with them, and in the beginning, it might be more of like juggling one ball at a time. You're just working with the heels. You're just working with the sitting bones. You're just working with the scapula. You're just working with the skull. And then maybe it's sitting bones to heels, scapula and skull. Over time, you can sense them all simultaneously rather than sequentially. And that will ask for that deep perspective, the distant energetic experiencing of the pose or practice. And when you watch the whole, you escape that strategizing, figuring out part of the mind that focuses on the parts. And that sense of wholeness with perspective creates a sense of wholeness throughout your whole body and being. To get that, you've got to have the strength to go slow and be patient and feel deep. Now, what's come up for students as I've taught this, there's been beautiful feedback. And the number one things that people experience is enhanced awareness and awareness that travels with them from the movement practice into their daily postural patterns. We've also noticed that the bony landmarks correspond to areas of injury imbalance and recurring confusion. So when a bony landmark is elusive, they can't quite figure it out. They can't quite feel it. It often corresponds to where they hold tension where they have chronic imbalance, and or where they've experienced injury and pain. Students also report that when they really feel it, there is a deep and profound sense of connection, wholeness, lightness, and suspension. And we've played with this in poses like Warrior 3, Half Moon, and Headstand, Forearm Stand, forearm plank. And again, this sense of wholeness, connection, and suspension is invigorating and exhilarating. It does require that you're willing to fumble around in the dark for a while to get all of these points linked up, to go through the juggling and dropping and learning to juggle more that I talked about earlier. And again, it's it's worth it and it can revitalize your relationship to your body and your practice. And especially if your alignment has felt like a checklist If it's become dry and dusty and uninspiring, this is a way to revitalize and reinvigorate your practice and your alignment principles. As a teacher, during classes, I have to provide open space and time for students to explore. I'll say something like explore this, do a few of those, do more of that, because ultimately students have to feel that. They have to develop this relationship to their own body. And I say this for teachers in classes, but also if you're practicing on your own or practicing this in a class, feel it. This is not a thinking thing. This is a feeling thing. And that's actually what makes it beautiful and powerful. Enjoy. Enjoy.